1: Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes.
2: Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase.
3: This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay authenticity guarantee. And you'll feel it. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.
2: ThredUp, the largest online consignment and thrift store, is helping brands tap into fashion's fastest-growing industry. Find out why Gap, Reformation and more
3: are joining the resale revolution at ThreadUp.com/BOF. We're going to have a very,
4: very strong reaction against this time i don't know what it's going to be yet but it's brewing and it's going to happen
1: i'm just wondering if there'd be some similar impulse when you see kids protesting across the world that thing we loved about punk that kind of energy that changed culture
4: that's really my theory that fashion is a mirror of the times
5: Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of the Business of Fashion, and welcome to the BOF podcast. Recently, Tim Blank sat down with Anna Sui for an episode of BOF Live. She spoke about how the world has changed immeasurably since her last fashion show and the role of fashion in reflecting the culture and times that we're in. Here's Anna Sui Inside Fashion.
1: Hello, uh, I'm Tim Blanks. Uh, Welcome to BOF Live. Today our guest is Anna Swee, a very dear friend of mine. Uh, She has been one of my, um, what would I say, one of my stalwart um, companions through all my years in fashion. Because I always feel that we, Anna grew up in Detroit um, and I grew up in Auckland, New Zealand, but I feel we were kind of living the same life in a way, and that's why we've always always had this umbilical connection. So I'm really, I'm really happy today that we're talking. Um, Anna, um, you look incredibly serene, and I mean, your city has been through the mill in the last three months with the pandemic and and last week the BLM um, protests. So I'm wondering how you have stayed so serene for the last. Few months.
4: Well, you know, this is the first time I think since I was 16 years old that I haven't really worked and been like driven to like get up first thing in the morning, get to the office or get to the uh, place where I was working. And so I had to kind of chill because I've just never done this before. Um, And I realized that if I wanted to like get out of bed every day, I had to set myself some projects. So I've been working on. Lots of projects. One of them was organizing closets, which is a never-ending, lifelong pursuit. Um, Also organizing all of my CDs, DVDs, um, all my collections of things, books. And and I think that it's been kind of rewarding because I rediscovered a lot of things. So I set up a little film festival for myself, started watching movies, um, grouping them together. like Some movies I'd seen before, some that I'd never seen. I bought the, the DVD and just never watched it. And then I supplemented with um, Criterion Channel and uh, Amazon Prime. So if I was on a Pierre Clementi kick, I would like search out all of those Pierre Clementi films and then spend a week with Pierre Clemente so it, it was it was fun it's been fun. It's been really um, kind of uh, a nice escape almost and like kind of that thing where you're always thinking, if I had more time, I wish I could. So now is the time to do those sort of things.
1: I, I think, you know, it, sometimes it's like fashion has a crystal ball. And, and I don't think it realizes that, it, it, it imagines it has, but it's really interesting to see it when it does uh, come up against current events in a kind of predictive way. You're wearing a piece from your spring collection, mm-hmm. which was very, How would you describe your spring collection?
4: Um, It was very kind of, uh, well, we called it Victoriana, but it was after Pollyanna, which was my favorite childhood movie where she was super optimistic and always wished everything was was good and would go well. And I think I was in that mood where I just wanted everything to have a touch of innocence. And also I I was obsessed with sleepwear, um, nightgowns and pajamas and I layered them with everything. Um, Even on the evening dresses, the cover-up was a pajama top. Um, Every dress had a pair of pajama pants underneath, and it's kind of the way we've been dressing at home,
1: so. This is a collection you were delivering before the world changed in the last three months. Yes. So you were delivering a shutdown collection (laughs) as the world shut down. And then your fall collection, your autumn winter collection, which we saw in February, was all about horror. So it's just so bizarre.
4: Which, you know, I'm, I'm a chicken. I, I'm, I'm afraid of horror movies. And I just thought, okay, I'm gonna look the beast in the face. I'm gonna see what, when Steven Meisel tells me, you gotta watch this movie. And I keep, I'm like watching it like this. I thought, okay, let me get inspired by this. And I did. Like there was a great one that he sent me, um, Daughters of Darkness. And it was such great 70s styling. And um, Delphine Serig was just exquisite in it. And there were great like vinyl maxi coats and vinyl uh, knee-high boots. And I mean, I was so inspired by it. So I kind of took my whole color palette from these horror movies, from the movie posters of the Italian giallo films. Um, And it it was a fun challenge for me because I really had never done such a dark collection um but I just felt it was right for
1: the time. Why? Because the times actually got super dark right after you showed that collection.
4: I I, I have no idea why I was feeling but I it was just what I felt and I, I, I don't know like sometimes you just have to go with your gut and I kind of trust my gut at this point, so I sometimes even working into the collection, I don't really know why I'm doing it. Just like when I was working on this horror collection, but somehow it came out to be good timing, I guess.
1: <laughs> good timing for very bad timing. Yeah. But how how often in the in your how many years of doing shows would you say? Twenty years of doing shows.
4: Oh not, my first show was 1991. Yeah. So, That's more like 30, I guess.
1: 30, oh my God, 30. (laughs) You see, I was was miserable at maths. 30 years. So how often have you hit the zeitgeist like that, you reckon?
4: Um, a few times, I think. A few times. It's, well, sometimes it's just so clear of what's going on. Like when I did the grunge collections, um, um, there and then, when there's like a romanticism going on, and I did like the dandies, or you know it, there, sometimes it was just really right on to the spirit of what things needed to be um the geek uh, uh, preppy geek collection. I think that um uh, I'm forgetting the man's name that wrote the book and, and talked about tipping point uh, malcolm
1: um, Malcolm Gladwell:
4: Yes, and he mentioned that that you know that kind of gave. Uh, Hush Puppies, A New cachet, but it was also kind of exactly what was going on. Like all of a sudden everyone was, was embracing this kind of preppy geek sort of look, which fashion wise, nobody ever would have touched, but we, we just had a great time with it. Did it in beautiful, like, like almost neon pastel colors and did it very playful. And I, I think that, you know, a lot of people just really, really reacted to it.
1: Do you think that, uh, because you're, you're, I, I think of you as somebody who knows more about fashion history than almost anyone I know, that you're, you're so absorbed by, by the resonance of fashion in the wide world um, all through you know, fashion's history. Do you think that that is one of fashion's kind of allures, that it does, it can capture a moment if you look at, if you look at classic Saleron collections, you know from the '70s or the '60s, or or a classic Comme des Garçons collection, or the these designers who just seem to have an ability to nail a moment, and then it actually defines, it. and then what they did kind of defines the moment later on. Do you is that what's drawn you? Do you think for your for your whole career right. in fashion?
4: I mean, that's really my theory that fashion is a mirror of the times. And if you go back and look at fashion history, you can see, you can define an era just by the clothes, just by the length of the hemline, just by the details of the clothing, um, just by what people are wearing to mimic the politics of the time. And I think that's been my fascination and what I love researching. when I did the collection that was inspired by Alexander Girard, It had a very kind of um, color palette of Alexander Girard and his love for um, the Mexican um, uh, fabrics and uh, like the bright pinks and oranges and turquoise and greens. But I also was looking at Goya and um, trying to understand the period of the Maho and the Maha and Realizing that that was their statement during the politics they were being ruled by a, a French king, and this was their silent rebellion that they were dressing ultra Spanish. But I would, ne- would have never known that unless I picked up a book and started looking through and just kind of really understanding what was going on. And I think that fashion happens that way.
1: Really, the 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 your 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 research has always has always tended towards. The incredibly arcane, and and it's been an education for me. I've <laughs> learned, i learned things from the from the research that you pour into your fashion shows. So I'm curious as to what you think will be the outcome of the situation we're in now. If you think fashion is a mirror, what will fashion do to reflect the times that we've just been that we that we've been through and are going to go through for a while? Say.
4: Well. Well, you know, we, I, when we talked a few weeks ago on the phone, we, we were talking about the influenza epidemic, <clears throat> the Spanish flu. And what happened after that was the roaring 20s. I mean, the, the birth of the flapper, um, the liberation of women. And I think that we're going to have a very, very strong reaction against this time. I, I don't know what it's going to be yet, but it's brewing and it's going to happen.
1: And where does fashion fit into that, do you think?
4: well you'll see it reflected in how people put themselves together i think people being home so much probably wearing t-shirts and sweatpants just really like not even putting on makeup not even putting their contact lenses in you know just just hanging out at home suddenly they're going to want to be seen and make a statement and you know go out to restaurants when it's safe and go to parties and i think we're going to see a very very big reaction against this um at home, style. you mean a sort
1: of renaissance and a renaissance of extravagance or what? I mean, I don't
4: know if it's really extravagance, I think it's more expression because I don't know if extravagance feels right right now.
1: No, it feels totally wrong. And it really I does.
4: think it's going to be kind of a do it yourself moment. Um, I think that maybe like a resurgence of an arts and crafts movement because don't you think tie dye is like the 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 look of this moment, like all you hear about is, oh, I stayed home and tie-dyed this weekend, or you see lots of tie-dye available on the internet. And I mean, it's, I think that tie-dye could be even more beautiful than it is right now, because I remember in the 60s, there were people that just did exquisite tie-dye. When you think about Janis Joplin's outfits that you wore on the stage, uh, Mama Cass had that great dress at Monterey Pop. Um, I think uh, Halston did an incredible tie dye collection. So that's something that can be perfected and uh, improved upon. (laughs) But I think that, you know, people are staying home and crocheting. Maybe there's going to be a return to all the handicrafts. I mean, I hope so, because it's what I love. And, you know, people now have taken the time to relearn those skills and maybe teach them to their kids. So maybe there's going to be something, um, like what happened with the arts and crafts movement where um, it was a reaction against the industrial revolution. Um, You know, people wanted to see the human touch in their clothing, in what they were wearing, and express themselves that way rather than just kind of like a conformist um, digital look.
1: Like I I noticed Alessandra McKelly has been knitting. Yes. I don't know Mm -hmm. Instagram he's been knitting. Mm -hmm. I love knitting. It's so (laughs) relaxing.
4: Yeah, so I'm sure he's not the only one. I think there's people that are at home learning these skills again, maybe they're they're because they're home with their mom or their grandma and everybody's grouped together. It's kind of the old fashioned way. And that's how all those handicrafts were passed down. You'd be sitting around with your grandma and she'd be doing some crocheting and and you'd ask her, Oh, can you show how, show me how to do this? I mean, I used to do that with my mom and my grandma. And unfortunately my knitting was always horrible. So my mom, when I went to bed would, tear it apart and redo it so it was perfect and the next day i'd wake up and i was like oh this is looking so nice and but knowing that he had redone it
1: <laughs> so you're not good with your hands then
4: i i don't have patience i think that like i like knitting requires a certain tension and i just can't keep that even tension like i got i'll be too enthralled with what i'm watching on tv and all of a sudden all the stitches are too tight and then i'll drop a stitch you know it's just I just don't have that 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 kind of skill.
1: But you know, in a world where something like that is happening, where handcrafts become important again and and people are are in touch with a more a slower, a slower time. I mean, there there is a lot of talk about slow fashion as well. What how do you see this translating to the industry as we knew it until four months ago? you know, this incredible treadmill. God, we talked about it so often, this kind of...
4: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that we were all feeling it, like it was spinning out of control and we were. you would never be able to catch up. You'd never be able to um, do everything in 24 hours because we're living on this global timetable. You have to, you know, answer your um, emails from Europe and then through the middle of the night, there'd be emails from Asia. And then the next day, you'd have to do both of those plus your your business, or you just never went to sleep. I mean, there were just always these these um, business things going on all the time, and also trying to uh, fit in to a global uh, market was was a tricky, tricky thing. And I think that you know we tried so many different ways to satisfy the global market, but somewhere. In the long run, it's kind of, it's global. The other places are different and we have to really come to understand that and just try to not make it all one thing.
1: But would you, would you like um, a smaller fashion world where you were really in touch with your customers? And, you know, there was- Yeah, <laughs> there I and-
4: mean, I, I remember how the 90s were. It was a much smaller arena. Um, you know, maybe it was the beginning of globalization, but you knew all your buyers. Um, they'd been there for years and you had a relationship. Um, you knew all your fabric vendors. Again, most of them started their own businesses at that point, um, and it was family businesses. Um, and there wasn't this frantic need just to be working all the time. I, I remember enjoying holidays i mean since we changed the new york schedule you could never enjoy christmas vacation like maybe i would go home for two days and then i could be back in the office um i think that uh like a lot of our holidays were spoiled i think you know one of the few days we could take off was president's day as far as a holiday um every every other time we were on a deadline so i think that let's hope that this kind of gets back into control and that we get to um, kind of balance out our lifestyles again.
1: You know, because I think that there are, you know, in those, the 90s earlier, where fashion was a very different beast, um, you know, there was loyalty, there was trust, there was respect, and you know, I feel that those ideas, the whole idea of of you had customers who were loyal to you, you know, who who didn't expect a major discount to be kind of seduced into buying your clothes, or who, or actually it wasn't even their decision to, to offer major discounts, it was big department stores, you know, kicking off this cycle of novelty. Um, it, you just wonder, the world has been through ma- massive, is going through massive trauma. And you just think if, if, if if change doesn't come out of something like this, what will it come out of? You know? exactly.
4: Exactly. And that's why I'm so um, thankful that people are speaking up about it, that there's these petitions going around. There's um, not only designers bringing, bringing up this topic, but retailers responding also. And I think that some of the fashion calendar people are, are, are joining this. So I think now is the time and I think it's going to save our business because where it was going, I, like nobody knows. It was just getting so out of out of control, and business was not getting better. Um, and the you know, and the discounts were getting crazier and crazier. I think that we've got to get it back under control.
1: What keeps you going?
4: Um, fabrics. I like I can I can think oh I'll never have another idea in the world and all I have to do is look at fabrics and suddenly my head will start spinning with ideas um watching old movies um there's a great documentary on right now you have to watch it if you haven't already Laurel Canyon it's a two part documentary on Echo,
1: echo, with what, echo in the no, Canyon No this is
4: even better. better this is this is this is this is done by um uh, all the musicians, and it talks. There, it's all of them talking. Lots of old footage of them talking, like home movies and things. And it really talks about the the, the advent of Laurel Canyon and how it started, and who the um, early players were. And it, it's it's. What's heaven. it on? It's on Amazon Prime. You will be in. Heaven. It's not the
1: one with Jacob Dylan.
4: No, 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 no. That one's Echo in the Canyon. This is.
1: Yeah, that's Echo. Yeah, yeah, this yeah, is yeah.
4: done like it's narrated by Henry Diltz, who did you know Crosby, oh, Stills, Nash probably. album.
1: Yeah,
4: um, it yeah. you know and it, it follows uh, like the original people that moved into the canyon: Frank Zappa and the Monkees, uh, Peter Tork, and um, Crosby. Is Sills, Joni Mitchell? There. there is so much Joni Mitchell in part two. You'll, you'll oh, love it. You'll you're you're gonna love it. Yeah, you're gonna love yeah. it. It's just it's you know, yeah. ecstasy. <laughs>
1: Why were we talking about Laurel Canyon? You were we asking were me about- like what,
4: um, where I get my ideas from.
1: Oh, what yeah. So yeah.
4: who knows? Um, but then also, um, I could see someone walking down the street. I mean, there was the guy at McDonald's the other morning, because that's the only place that's open for um, iced coffee in the morning in, in by my office. And he had the most divine outfit on. I think he was homeless, but okay, mind you, it's like 90 degrees here. But he had his long puffer coat wrapped around his waist. It was a long midi, a maxi skirt with snaps up the front, a really skinny, skinny, long sleeve, cream colored t-shirt, and then this scarf thrown around his neck that was like kind of Mick Jagger style that trailed in the back. He came walking through the door and I thought, oh my God, this guy is so chic. So I took all these pictures and I was like sharing it with like Mark and Steven. I'm like, look at this guy. And yeah, and they said, but he doesn't have a mask on. And that was true, he didn't have a mask on, but he was just so chic. So you never know where that, where that, that spark is gonna come from.
1: You never know. So in, in, um, in lockdown, have you been researching then? Like you said, you've tidied up your closets. You've, you know, have you, have you been researching as well? Because your research is generally based on you being able to move around and look at exhibitions and libraries and things.
4: Yeah. Um, well, like one of the things I really wanted to do was go to London to see the Aubrey Beardsley exhibition, and um, I looked at the online uh, tour, but I also have the Stephen um, Calloway book, so I've been reading that. Um, I think that, you know, like watching Laurel Canyon, all of a sudden I went to Prime, and you know, there's all those additional um, documentaries on musicians. I watched one in Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and... Uh, another one. I'm Bob Dylan, and then watch the Martin Scorsese movie. I'm Bob Dylan, you know. So it it just triggers like an idea. Like when there's something that is looking exciting to me, like I'll just kind of continue researching it till I can't stand it anymore. Um, so um, the same thing happened with films. Like I decided to watch some um, films based on Balzac one week, and um, there's there's one um, uh, film that I I had read the book. And it was, um, I think the book was titled Wild Ass's Skin, but this one was called, uh, I forgot, it's, uh, and anyway, it talked about this magical skin that the, the person that had brother, it
1: could it's have. A Grimm it. It's, a brother, it's a brother's grim story. It's a brother's grim story, I think, yeah.
4: yeah. Okay, so, so Balzac wrote a whole story about it and how it brought this man everything he wanted, but it, that doesn't always work out well. And he and he and everything he wished for, but every time he got his wish, the skin would shrink. So um, and then no, when the shrink, story. the when the skin shrunk <laughs> <struck> down,
1: yeah. <laughs> so it's like King Midas in reverse, in a way.
4: Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: And so you watch that movie, and you were thinking, "Yeah, hmm, I feel a connection mm. in my bones."
4: But then, then the next day, I'll see like a Visconti and go somewhere else. So it just. You know, I like to float around and just kind of um, check out all the possibilities of where it could go next and then until I, it feels right.
1: I noticed from the um, Anna Sui curated film festival that you had Nightwatch by Elizabeth Taylor, which, oh, yeah. as much as I love Elizabeth Taylor, could very well be her very worst movie, I thought. Like,
4: why? Why did she do it? It just it was just you can't understand it, you, you know, and but she's wearing that great Valentino outfit in it, um, which is the other thing that I started watching all the more obscure Elizabeth Taylor movies, and she's always got incredible clothes, and a lot of times she'll wear one of her jewels. So it's, it's fun to see.
1: So there was Night Watch, there was uh, Secret Ceremony, of course. Um, uh, there was something else around the driver's seat. The driver's seat was Elizabeth.
4: Driver's seat, yeah. And Andy Warhol's in that,
1: yeah. But I remember um, it was Lawrence Harvey's in Nightwatch, and yes. um, I remember when the f- the famous story when he was dying in um, lying in his hospital bed, dying, and she came to visit him, and he he, he absolutely forbade the hospital to let her in
4: <gasps>
1: to see him because um, she was such a sort of you know doom and gloomer when she was at his uh. deathbed. Which I thought was rather disappointing because I always thought of her as a life force. But so you had Night Watch, you had uh, th- that. What you posted on Instagram was a very interesting selection of um, of films.
4: Yeah, well, thank God for Amazon Prime because they have all these like <laughs> obscure movies that I've never heard of. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, like luckily somewhere they're saved. <laughs> and there's the mirror. The mirror cracked too. The what? That, which was. The mirror Crack, oh, which was so like Christy Christie, mm. and and no, it was Last um, of Sheila. Elizabeth Taylor Sheila. and oh, the Last of Sheila was great. Which I had never watched it before. Like and so this time I thought, okay, I'm gonna sit down and really watch it. I would
1: say everybody who loved Knives Out should watch The Last of Sheila.
4: Yeah, because that's probably what inspired it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yes, a, totally. Yeah. yeah.
1: But out of all of that, have you come up with a collection then that you're going to present in some way at some point?
4: I'm playing around with an idea and but I think that it's it's not there yet i I was even thinking about it this morning. I think it's time to simplify to get to the essence and to get to um, really show what it is that I love the most that's iconic um, so i'm I have I have some print patterns that I'm thinking of and a color palette that I'm thinking of. Um, Oh, because I saw this great movie on um, Berta Marisol. Is that how you pronounce her name? She was an impressionist painter and yes. Yeah. yeah. And um, she was one of the first uh, famous women painters and I just loved her color palette. Um, Of course she liked to wear a lot of black, but then in her paintings there were very soft colors and so i i kind of threw that all into the, the equation so who knows I, I i don't know where it's going yet it's i'm still playing around.
0: quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side
3: with eBay authenticity guarantee you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach ensure your next purchase is the real deal visit ebay.com for terms
1: but how important have fashion shows been for you over the years to sort of make your vision kind of coalesce into one into one
4: well, well the, that's the, that's the problem right now there's not that end goal to figure out where with the fashion show which was every six months i had to come up with a new theme new color palette and finish everything on schedule right now it's kind of a little vague so it's there's not that drive to like land on something right away and just delve into it right now i'm just kind of meandering around and it's scary because again i'm not used to it i mean if you're doing how many shows did I do since 1991? There was always that really strong focus and I just knew I had to accomplish this by this date. And right now it's just kind of like, when is the season gonna start? When is there gonna be another show? I mean, I don't see shows for a while. I think it's going to be difficult to do shows.
1: Now I just think if that, if that show in February was your last ever fashion show, would you be happy with that?
4: I don't know if I'd be happy with it. Um, it was a
1: pretty content would be, stop.
4: Yeah. Con- content would be yeah. a good word. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
5: I
1: think of all the people you've worked with regularly, you've had that incredible team like Pat doing the makeup, Garen doing the hair, Fred Sanchez doing the music. He did such a good soundtrack. Um,
4: oh, it was I amazing. It was
1: Spotify or something because that soundtrack, you could play it all day long right now.
4: So but, good. It was all the introductions to all those um, Giallo horror movies were so stunning and the way he put it together was just, just perfection.
1: So do you um, see, I mean, the collaborative, um, the collaborative aspect of fashion, which is something that I thought was very, very strong with you always. Going forward, maybe if you don't have fashion shows, if you, if maybe, maybe if well, they are something different, how do you imagine that you will keep that particular flame alive with all these people who work to create this thing with you?
4: Well, I mean, maybe we could just work together and do a, a video presentation. Um, but again, how can we get together at this point? It's, it's just, it's not going to happen for a while. I mean, I know people are doing fashion shoots right now, but it's really not a good idea to get all these people together in one room for you know the whole day. Um, so I, I'm really not sure. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I, I think that whoever figures it out is gonna be a genius, um, but I'm just really not sure how to do it. Um, I don't know. I mean, I see people sending clothes to people and they're shooting their own videos. But it, you don't have that ultimate control of exactly how you want it presented that way, which is what was always the big challenge to do in a fashion show is to kind of uh, address every every detail of the show, including the background and the music and the casting and you know so it's 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 a challenge.
1: But did you did you ever want to make movies? Because I think so much of what you've done over the years has been really cinematic. You could, and you've been so inspired by films. And even when you talk about yeah. that last. Yeah. Film.
4: Um, I mean, I'm, I'm really uh, lucky that my niece wants to be a film director and she actually has been doing um, the videos uh, for each collection the last few seasons. And I think that she's really got like a gift and really captures the the feeling of the, collection so yeah maybe we're going to go that way this time um for the next collection
1: and make a um you could make an incredible 3d thing because uh no not 3d it's, three, it's not called 3d it's called vr isn't it um you know i've i, I this is what i've been thinking about that you could burrow into a collection and do this amazing vr realization um i don't know quite how that how quite how that extends into selling the clothes but it definitely would convey the atmosphere of what you do that would be quite exciting because what you do is very atmospheric you know
4: well I, I don't know if you saw Jeannie's video for the spring collection where we shot it in my apartment and um sarah grace was the model and it was funny when they were when they were filming they were choosing um what backgrounds. Uh, from the, which, which rooms they were going to use. And my niece, Chase, said, "We let's just use all the sweet ones and we'll save, save the creepy ones for the fall collection. <laughs> so we have yet to shoot the the creepy rooms.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what are the creepy rooms?
4: I guess the ones that are a little more gothic, the, the backgrounds that are a little more gothic, the furniture pieces that are darker and, and um, gothic. So, um, yeah, when I look around, there kind of is... That, that element too, but we chose all the very pastel-y and light and um, airy, airy places to shoot.
1: When you walk around your apartment, do you see it as, uh, seeing you've been in the apartment pretty, pretty conclusively for the last few months, when you walk around it, what do you think? What do you think about the world you've made for yourself in every way?
4: Um, I, I mean, it's, it's fun, it's a nice escape that I have created for myself. But I mean, when it boils down to it, you know, you really end up living in your bedroom, you know, like like all of a sudden all the books are on the bed, all the videos are laid out. You know, it's kind of it just kind of drifts back that way. Um, But, yeah, it's fun to have different rooms to get dressed up in or to read a book in. Like this room, I always whenever I want to read something, I come in this room because there's the beautiful lighting from the window. Um, There's a nice bench. Um, that I can sit on so it's just I I use different rooms for different purposes it's nice to have all the things you love around you which I think you're the same because I remember you showed me some pictures of some details in your apartment and it's just to have that is like such a great reward for the hard work that we do all the time
1: yeah and also I never feel like stepping outside because I just look out the window and there's the world there's the world going by. But in, in, you know, I, I, just, I just wonder when um, you have that world and um, now I'm kind of vamping while I try to think of where that thought that was in my head that just evaporated, um, you have that world and the, the rest of things is, uh, is a huge challenge and so uncertain and there's such a sort of, you know, stability and being at home and um, being surrounded by the things that you love. What do you imagine? um, What would you imagine in in a worst case scenario um, where, you know, because I'm like Elizabeth Taylor in in Nightwatch, I can be a little bit gloom and doom too. It's gonna be very, very hard to extract ourselves from this situation. What would be your ideal, you know, uh, your ideal alternative?
4: Well, my ideal alternative would be that suddenly real estate was more affordable and the little boutiques would start appearing and artisanal uh, designers and artists would start making things that you could buy and everything would be kind of one of a kind or special. I mean I think that that's what I was trying to get at when I did the collection with the bazaar and invited all my friends that do vintage or artisanal things to um be represented in the little carts that we in the Kismet set that we did with um um being a- available to buy and um with a selection uh, that was curated by by me um showing people what I thought was ideal um an ideal way to shop um I mean, I I still like that idea. Again, I don't know if that world is gone. You know, I I think that...
1: I think that's the future. I think the village is the future. I I do. I I think you you create a little village on your catwalk of little vendors kind of selling Mm -hmm. their things. And, you know, you have a dressmaker, you have a cobbler, Mm -hmm. a butcher, a baker, candlestick maker. I think that's what's happened with lockdown is everybody's living in their neighborhoods and, and really exploring their neighborhoods. So Mm -hmm. I I thought the whole notion of the village seems to have become much stronger. um, Or not much stronger, but the whole notion of the village has become something that people respond to. That could be the future of fashion, you know?
4: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would be wonderful. I just think maybe it's going to be difficult in New York City because of the cost of the real estate. Because look what what happened with Leaker Street. You know, that was, that was like an idyllic little neighborhood at one point with antique stores. And then little by little, it just, the rents just kept going up because of all the retailers that started going there.
1: Now, uh, something that people have been saying about this time is it's making people focus on what's important to them um, and what they really want to get out of life. Have you come to any conclusions?
4: Well, I think one of the greatest things that's happened during this period is the fact that my friends and I have been picking up the phone and like chewing the fat for a, for an hour instead of just these little bleeps on on your iPhone and you really just come away from those conversations so happy and you know you're so thankful that you have such good friends and so you know it, it, it's just very satisfying rather than so many times when you're texting back and forth it's just like well, well, where are we going already? You know, like it just—you can't get to a conclusion where a conversation really, really um, is—it it, it takes you right where you need to go. Um, I think that maybe we're learning to appreciate that more, and let's hope that that continues because um, you waste a lot of time texting back and forth and not getting anywhere.
1: Do you think? Um, do you think you can sustain? Do you think people will be able to sustain that? Will all we'll people just sink back into you know business as usual? I know everybody. I,
4: mean, I hope so. I hope so because after usually after the conversation, then you get a text. That was so much fun to sit and talk. You know, and it's just kind of. I I think it's very rewarding.
1: Now, when you look back on the thirty years, uh, what um, what stands out for you as a favorite moment? Like, would you do you find you're dreaming a lot at the moment?
4: No, I. I, I
1: yeah, one, but...
4: yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. sorry. I, I, I'm not. I mean, I I just haven't. Yeah, I can't remember my dreams still.
1: I'm dreaming about fashion. I've never ever dreamt. <laughs> Is that strange? Weird. Yeah. F- yeah. Like being incredibly athletic at a Valentino show or something. It's, <laughs> where's that coming from? That's why. That's why I'm I'm thinking that you know all this people writing so much about the power of dreams during this time that people's dream lives have become hyperactive because their daily lives have been so um, restrained and so I just also
4: the anxiety behind everything that's going on I think is is creating these dreams Um, almost like that reoccurring one when you were in school that you you didn't do your homework or you left it in your locker you know it's kind of there's dreams like that but unfortunately I can't remember my dreams so do
1: you have a do you have a moment from from the 30 years that you that you treasure more than others? Moments that you just think that was where everything came together in such a sort of golden way?
4: Um I guess you know I, I I've been so fortunate to have this exhibition. So I've kind of revisited a lot of my career, which I had not done at all. I, never had even seen the close again after that season um and i guess that probably the first show is still like w- was so joyous and such a labor of love and kind of put together by my friends and kind of they're still my friends to this day so i mean it that really kind of says it all um and then I think the the moment that I had this exhibition um in London. I mean, that was such a beautiful evening that, that first night. And um to be surrounded by people that I knew really well and people that I didn't know that well, but you know, like people came to celebrate the the exhibition. Um, Twiggy and Zandra and you and you know there were there was it was just such a beautiful occasion, my family. And then we had that experience again, in New York, um, where 60 people from my family showed up (laughs) for the exhibition. And it was, it was crazy, but, um, so, so rewarding and, you know, so much fun. And, um, so right now my exhibition opened in Shanghai on Saturday. So unfortunately I can't travel there. Um, I think that it has a different look to it because it's in a very modern building and it has a very popular, and um, optimistic feeling to it. Um, it's very exciting. There's a lot more high-tech elements because people are so into their selfies there. There's a lot of um, selfie moments throughout, but um, it looks stunning. And um, hopefully it's going to be as successful as the other two.
1: Well, congratulations. Thank but you. Do you think it's funny now when you, because there were, I, I was reading comments when, you know, when I did a post about that our talk and some of the comments, it's interesting to think that you talk about Twee and Zonda Rhodes coming to your <laughs> and you're thrilled. But, you know, you are that person for some people now. That it's, it's interesting, isn't it? That from I think of you as being the ultimate fan for years and years. We've talked about who, you know, who we fangirl over. And, you know, it's Anita Pallenberg and David Bowie and, and God knows, the list goes on, and Aubrey Beardsley. List goes on, but then you are thank you.
4: <laughs> thank you. um I guess I don't think of it that way and 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 you know, in fact, my friend kanzai Yamamoto um does a yearly kind of extravaganza fashion show, and he asked me to write something um to include in the brochure and to um celebrate the event and also uh, to address the the students and the des- uh, potential designers that are. are dreaming to become designers and i kind of wrote all about kanzai because he was kind of that to me also you know i went to tokyo um, i i my first trip to asia when i was working for a company where that did production in asia i asked my boss if i could stop in tokyo on the way there cuz i knew that kanzai had a boutique there and i went and i bought a ton of clothes and i still have all those clothes and they like those clothes were like treasures to me and and, you know, they, they made you dream so much. And that's what Kanzai always represented to me. So I hope that, you know, people come away dreaming about um, their idols this way and that their idols inspire them this way. And I know all the people that we've mentioned, you know, Zandra, um, I think that, you know, we featured them in in um, the different exhibitions, um, Ozzie Clark, uh, um norma Kamali, um, even people like Jane Holzer, Anita Pallenberg that we featured in the New York shows. All these people made me dream about wanting to be a designer. And I hope that people get inspired by that and realize that, oh, there's people that make them dream too,
1: but you know, you lived next door to the New York dolls when you first arrived in New York. I mean, the New York Dolls were your neighbors in Norma Kamali's apartment. Exactly. I just, I think of all those people who have become kind of mythic in a way. And you knew, you either knew them or, well, you did know them. Um, places like the Mud Club, you know, the, the, the sort of texture of New York, of New York history. Do you find that kids, not millennials, but I guess the, people underneath millennials generate Gen Z, is that what they call called? Gen Z. That, do you find that people want to hear those stories from you, that kids want to hear those stories, that you, you, you know, that whole you were their, their situation, that you were, part of a, you were part of an amazing moment?
4: There, there, there's, there's some oddities that yes, they really want to hear the stories. Yes, they really want to know. And sometimes they know it better than you. But it's few and far between that are those old souls that really, really like want to delve into that history. Um, but hopefully, there's going to be just enough of them to kind of recreate it again.
1: But do we want to recreate it, or do do we want to find the a kind of modern equivalent? I mean,
4: well, that's what I mean—the modern equivalent. Yeah,
1: um, yeah. Just
4: you know, like when I spent my time watching the about the Impressionists. I watched like a whole series of um, uh, documentaries on all the different Impressionist painters and thought that must have been such a fine moment when it was such a revolutionary statement. And at first um, it had very adverse reaction and people kind of just um, scowled at those painters until they kind of set up their own exhibition. And I think it was called the... The rejects <laughs> like, you know, like they they and suddenly that became the thing and kind of outmoded all the other classic paintings so I, I think that that's that's how change happens there's always that thing that is kind of brewing and is in the background is in the underground um and then suddenly it looks so wrong to everybody that's the 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 current to the current people, but suddenly it gets kind of starting to look right, and suddenly more more and more people join it, and then it becomes the thing.
1: You know what I'm what I've been um, what I'm curious about is uh, I think about punk, which was so important to us, you know, and and you have God knows you have the best stories about punk (laughs) because you have the real you were there stories. Um, But I'm just wondering if there'd be some similar impulse when you see kids protesting across the world now and it's 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 young people you know there there are it's a very very wide the, the every single every single age group ethnic group they're all in the streets but you get a strong sense of how how young the activists are and i'm just wondering whether um that thing we loved about punk could could come back and with, with that kind of energy, with that kind of, that kind of energy that changed culture at that time, whether we would see that again, or whether, whether the things that were important to us um, aren't actually as important now as other key issues.
4: Well, it's funny, I was, th- I was sitting here as the protest was drifting from Washington Square to Union Square on Sunday, and watching it on TV, but also out my window, because they were going back and forth on Fifth Avenue. And I was thinking, wonder what the, the, the coolest t-shirt is amongst all those kids that are protesting right now. Like there must be a look where when when like amongst them they're gonna recognize that, oh, they've got that t-shirt. I've gotta get that t-shirt. Oh, they've got that mask, I've got to get that mask. Oh, look at her shoes. Those are the shoes that I wanna get. Like it's gotta be happening that there is something like that going on. There has to be, it it has to be not only just the movement, but also there's kind of gotta be a look that's going on or everybody's wearing their hair with these braids in it or, you know, wh- whatever it is, it, it's it gonna happen that way. But I thought, but am I gonna be able to figure this out from watching it on TV and looking out the window? Like, do I have to join that and like go out and like stand on the streets and watch them? You know, it's it just like, it was passing through my mind. but. I'm sure that by the, by the next few weeks, it's going to be identified like, oh, so this is the t shirt, or this is the mask, or this is the bandana, or I because mean, that's you know,
1: that, that's all about the way people recognize themselves, you know. Yeah, it's
4: that very, secret language, that, that vocabulary that you yeah, use
1: to kind of
4: become birds of a feather.
1: Yeah, it's super important when there's so much turmoil that you need to know. Who your tribe yeah, is, you know
4: exactly. Exactly. So it should be interesting to see what the outcome of that is.
1: Do you think fashion can possibly translate that, though
4: Well, I mean, when kids started talking about like dad sneakers, it took me a while to understand what that was because I didn't watch Seinfeld, you know. So it, and I just thought like that's a fashion statement, you know. And then I thought, oh, now you're an old fogey. Like it just, I, there's it's certain signals that happen and people start identifying with it and then it becomes it becomes a meaning and a, a like a, 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 like a vocabulary of how you're expressing yourself. So it, it will be different than what our generation did, but it, it it'll be there.
1: What's your vocabulary do you think? If you if, if somebody said how do you express yourself? What 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 is the purest expression of Anna Sui in the clothing you wear?
4: Well I mean my hairstyle, right? You know, it's like kind of been the same for how long. Um, although I have changed it up a few times. There was, there were braids, there were, uh, there was a flip at one point. Um, but kind of been the same thing. Um, I kind of have always dressed the same, a lot of black and white, um, a lot of, um, jackets and then Pants, and then, then then I'll go through periods of only wearing dresses, you know. So and lots of accessories. I think that that's um, the Stella Dallas moment in me. Like Stephen always says, "Oh, here comes Stella Dallas," and then like she she was um, Barbara Stanwyck in that movie where she just kind of piled it on, like there was not one inch of her that wasn't embellished somehow, um, which I love, and you can see that in my styling in the shows.
1: Do you know we were talking about Anna May Wong? Remember? Um... Yeah. A while ago. Mm-hmm. Did you watch Ryan Murphy's Hollywood?
4: Yeah. And no, wasn't that great? Movie. Yeah, that fairy tale of her. And then there's a uh, there's a documentary series on PBS, Asian Americans, and there's a whole segment on Anna Mae Wong. And it talks about that whole story again, too, how she was up for the part um, in that movie, and then Louise Rayner got the movie. Um, actually, in my exhibition at um, the Shanghai um, Museum of Modern Art, we have a whole section dedicated to her because remember how how many years ago was it that, that I did that collection that was chinoiserie? Um, I think it was 2014. And um, we did the Anime Wong t shirts. And then the uh, New York Historical Society was doing um, an exhibition on the um, Exclusion Act of 1882. And they adapted those t shirts. Um, we, we made them for them and they had them in their gift store. So. It's kind of come full circle now that um, we're showing it in our exhibition as a, you know, my inspiration of Srinwasari um, in the show.
1: And and you know that that is sort of maybe that is indicative of sensibilities kind of shifting of people becoming more sensitive, hopefully. But um, would you say you're optimistic at the end of all of this?
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm still the same as I was when. I was dreaming about coming to New York. It's like I'm always looking for that 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 next thing, that next exciting trend, that next um, exciting new designer, that next exciting kind of fashion movement. I mean, it's it's what I love.
1: Well, it's so lovely talking to you. god knows when I'm going to see you again, but oh. uh, now that I can see you like this, we can we could zoom. I can read the books in your bookcase. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much and Thank sending Thank you. You. Thank Thank you. all my love.
4: It's been a pleasure. Big kiss to you. Thank you.
1: Bye bye.
5: If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, give us a rating, and you might be interested in joining the Business of Fashion's global membership community, BOF Professional. Our members receive exclusive deep dive analysis. Regular email briefings, as well as unlimited access to our archive of over 10,000 articles, our new iPhone app, and all of the online courses and learning materials from
6: BOF Education. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store, but did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Go to shopify.com slash B-O-F to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash B-O-F.
2: Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off limits.